0: know what that sound is, Kyle. What is it? It is the, I don't know, the worldy chatbot.
1: We have our own chatbot Yeah, now. we've got
0: our own, we are that famous, Kyle. If you can get about, forget about Vlad, we've got a chatbot and it's going off because, oh my god, season two alert. All over the world,
1: people are listening to Absolute Worldy <laughs> Football Podcast.
0: <laughs>
1: America. <laughs> Europe, well, obviously, that, obviously,
0: probably, mostly, mostly. Europe. Africa, Africa, South Africa, no, uh, South, South yes, Africa, yes, South Africa, and in uh, Gambia and in Senegal. Asia, uh, Hong Kong, Thailand, Thailand. Um, uh, oh, uh, oh! That was also in Africa. There was Morocco as well. We can't possibly know all, all of, of those people. people. We can't. We can't. We should probably stop just checking our geography stats. Welcome back, listeners, to season two of the Absolute Worldy Podcast. It's hey, been eight weeks. It's been eight. That's a long time, Kyle, not to be uh, making what is in demand <laughs> football podcast Why has it been eight weeks, Joel? Oh, we just had so much to do. You know, we've got we're hectic people with hectic lifestyles, Kyle. Where have you been? Uh, where haven't I been is more the question. Uh, probably the most exciting thing I've done in the last eight weeks is go to La Tomatina. Is that that festival in Spain where people throw rotten tomatoes at each other? Kyle, that is that festival in Spain where people throw rotten tomatoes at each other. What was it like? Uh, Tomato uh, It was very, it was, it was, it was an experience, listeners, and one which I recommend you experience, but I probably wouldn't want to do it again, if I'm honest.
1: Joel told me he had to wear goggles. Everyone was wearing goggles. Everyone who doesn't want to get tomato acid in their eyes. It doesn't. So, like when you put it like that, it sounds hazardous.
0: It is pretty hazardous. Yeah, you're packed into streets that are not designed to contain twenty five thousand people screaming for tomatoes. Uh, you can't move, can't really breathe, and people throw tomatoes at your face. It's a lot of fun. Tourism. Yeah, I mean to quote McBain from The Simpsons. Ah, my eyes, the goggles do nothing. <laughs> oh, they didn't work? No, because you're still getting smacked in the face with tomatoes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so basically, I heard that from you, I don't know why I'm pretending other people told me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tr- trash, like garbage trucks drive down the road yep. and people stand on the beds to row tomatoes yes. at foreigners.
0: And for that reason, I wasn't available to record a
1: podcast. <laughs> well, I was around. Yeah, well, without doing? you, it just felt wrong, so I didn't You could have do done it. one on your own. I don't have the technological ability.
0: Oh, no. You, well, you could have recorded it on your phone and sent it to me and I would have turned it into a into a package we could have sent to the listeners.
1: Well, we didn't do that. No, we didn't. So while I, while you were away, Joel, and while the, the football was over, I did struggle to, you know, function. So yeah. my friends and family reached out to me. My brothers bought me this great book called Your First Football Shirt. Your First Football Shirt. Is it a recommendation for what your first football shirt should be? What is your it? First Football Shirt is a book made for charity. Um, and Which charity? It raises money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. Oh, well, just to give
0: the listeners the, the indication of it, you've just used it to hit the microphone there. So that's good. <laughs> I hit the cable. It's probably the same
1: thing i don't know if you've heard of calm (laughs) joel i've already heard of calm because there's a lot of podcasts that support calm already oh really was it what the campaign against campaign against living miserably is a um it's a male suicide and depression um charity and and um to raise awareness of it um young men in particular is like the highest suicide bracket of Mm -hmm. all uh, demographics So it's to raise awareness and to give people an outlet. You know, it's like an alternative to the Samaritans, I think. Right. They've got a great website. Anyway, the people that put this book together, um, it was a a Kickstarter. Yes, a a Kickstarter. A Kickstarter, a a crowdfunder. A crowdfunder. And um, my brothers put some money in and it got published, which is great. Oh, that's fantastic. And So so what is it? Is it Famous People's First Football Shirts? It's famous people, football journalists, all sorts of people. Ray Parler's in there. Oh. Um, The uh, the Romford Pele, as Arsenal fans call him the you do your first foot, your first football shirt your favorite football shirt and your favorite football moment ah oh, nice and then well, there's a picture of your first football shirt it's they, they, all like done with nice artwork and like lovely anecdotes Brilliant. it's a really nice and every, coffee book and every book. penny goes to coffee book coffee table
0: book coffee book a book you could drink your coffee off no a coffee table book yeah uh, or stick it in the bathroom the money uh, the... i like i like picture books when i'm doing my business in the in the loo yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. I don't um, want to call it a toilet book, because that makes it sound bad, but it's a great toilet a great book. great toilet
0: book. Um, so, you're starting season two of the Absolute Worldy podcast with a plug, then?
1: Yeah, it's called... I've said... Your First your football, football Shirt. Book, but it, it's, it's made by the Football Shirt Collective, so check them out. Mm. And they're supporting CALM, the campaign against living miserably, and Willow, which is a, a company that helps with special days for seriously ill young adults. Great. Well, I'll buy that book. Um, so, uh... We've started season two, and we've
0: managed to somehow get onto football. That was impressive. Well, I had to fill my summer with something. Yeah, yeah, it was. We needed to somehow get this chat back to football, otherwise we'd have just sat here chatting about our, our respective summers. I also tried the Football Index. Tell me, and the listeners, I say tell me, I have a vague awareness of what this is. Tell us about the Football Index, Carl. I've
1: been thinking about the Football Index for a while, Charles. Right. The Football Index combines... Uh, the stock market with fantasy football. Okay. Um, you uh, purchase a portfolio of players <laughs> uh, and you're div- you get dividends on them if they perform well. I don't know anything about the stock market. No, I don't either. Uh, you I know had-
0: quite a lot about football, though. Yeah,
1: and that's why I thought, wow, I can combine my two things. My wish to make money from not having a real job and my love of football. Uh, I-, I gave up after a week.
0: Wow, was it that complicated or the, that the,
1: useless? Uh, my my partner showed me a free uh, week's trial that she saw on the tube, so I jumped on it. Yep. After a week, I was like, it was... I mean, it's a really successful and, and uh, popular... I've heard it advertised
0: site, on other football podcasts. So. But it's
1: it's tremendously unpredictable. I, I guess like the stock market, of which I have no <laughs> understanding. Like, there's no... There seems to be no actual correlation between performance and value. That It's all to do with... Uh, it's to do with popularity, and you get little pockets of like buzz. Right. So, for example, and I'll use this as an example and I'll move on. Um, Kevin De Bruyne right. got an injury within the first couple of games of the season, which was putting him out for months. Yes. He, for that week that I was on there, was most, one of the most expensive players to purchase yeah. because he was in the media a lot, and so his value was seen to be high. But he was injured and therefore not playing football. So, yeah, so there was no actually, so actually I, I would have thought that his value would have gone down. Yeah, what's the correlation there? Is the correlation is if you're famous, you, you, it's you get gets money. if you're hot right now. I think it's just like stock, like sell, 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 hot, 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 what's hot, buy it. It's, it's popular, it's ah, worth money. So this
0: could lead to
1: people shooting footballers. I've let's, taken it to its logical conclusion. Let's hope not. <laughs> I mean, let's hope not. I thought it would be easy. It was tremendously difficult and no... uh, Right, so
0: you're starting season two with a recommendation for your first football shirt and a
1: meh for Football Index. I think have a look at it. If you're into finance and you understand how that works, I think it's more suited to you. If you, on the other hand... And we do have a lot of finance-minded listeners, I think. Do (laughs) we? Have a look if you're into it. Um, If you like fantasy football, it's very different.
0: Yeah. Yeah. it's not it's not the thing you should be going for. Um so I do think before we kick on with season 2 and explaining what season 2 of the absolute Worldy podcast will entail listeners oh my god you're you're going to be so happy with what we've got in store for you. Uh but before we do I want to take your mind back Kyle take me back take you back to uh the summer of love I don't know what it's called the summer of the summer of Harry Maguire's big head let's call summer. it that
1: of slabhead
0: the summer of slabhead and the world cup and a final prediction that you and I made before England crashed out at the semi-final stage do you remember who you predicted would win the
1: world cup I think I said intake of breath fuck it England
0: yes that's exactly what you said and I said France 100% France and I was right. You were right, and the final was a great game. It was a great game. It was so much fun to watch as, as France just suddenly turned up. All the sort of defensiveness that, that they'd shown, other than in the Argentina game, they turned up and they destroyed. And actually, I think a lot of the people who casual casual football fans and casual
1: listeners of ours watched the game because they enjoyed the World Cup so much. I think it summed up the whole World Cup in one game quite well. Yeah, just madness. Well, every The fact that there was that stupid... Mistake by Loris that led to the four-two goal it kept the game alive. Yeah, and this World Cup was good for keeping for late game late late, late goals game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't quite have that. I would have loved a four-three.
0: Ah, it was just what, just the last little modicum yeah. of tension. Yeah, ah, I would have been superb. Uh, but nevertheless, I think we can safely say part of the reason we're back is we had such a good time during the World Cup. The new football season has started, uh, and we want to talk about it. And we want you to get in touch with us to tell us what you want us to talk about. Right? I, yeah, we really like that. I, yeah. yeah. We will genuinely, if you tweet us, listeners, or if you uh, message us in any way and tell us what you want us to talk about, it can be football related or not, we will talk about it and we will talk about it with special guests as the season progresses. Yes, we will. I can't wait to get some guests on. Yeah. Season two of the Absolute Worldie podcast is good. We've got some some crackers lined up for you. They are, I'll admit, I'll admit, I'll admit we haven't necessarily lined anyone up yet, but the ones that I can think of that we've got
1: lined up, woohoo, Kyle. My stars. My stars. They will talk your ear holes off. Let's have a little break and then we'll explain exactly the structure we think we're going to progress with this season after this. Welcome back to the Absolute Worldy Football Podcast. It's a world-class football pod or a mediocre podcast about worldy moments. You decide. You decide for us, guys. We're, we're fed up try- asking you to decide. We want you to decide. Tell us. So we, we've we been discussing while, while we've been off air for the last two months almost how we're going to progress and what structure we we think would work based on trying to keep ourselves, you know, relevant and unique and, and trying to keep a niche of what people might want to listen to as opposed to just talking about every single week's worth of football news. We
0: know that the people who are listening to this podcast aren't
1: necessarily interested in hearing me and Carl waffle on
0: about exactly what's just happened over the weekend.
1: Yeah, and part of why we wanted to do the World Cup one was because we thought we could appeal to people that didn't really like football as much as we did, or watch it regularly. And we'd like to keep that sort of interest. We want to appeal to people... Who want to learn more about the world of football? Maybe not just the specifics. So tell me, Car, what is the structure of season two? Well, we think we're going to progress like this. <laughs> Every other week, Joel and I will swap between one of us talking about a current worldy football uh, topic mm. uh, and a classic worldy moment, which could a be A classic worldy moment. Pretty much anything. What do you? How would you describe that? I would
0: say it's it's a uh... Let's say dipping into the bank of football and coming up with stuff that is maybe not necessarily uh, about the game itself, but uh, moments around it. What, like, what, what might some of those be? Well, uh, good question. And if you had told me you were going to ask me that, <laughs> um, we probably had some I'm answers. I'm thinking.
1: I think we could do things like. Historical football moments. Yes, great. Um, historical Well, moments. thinking about some facts that we've
0: spoken about on the podcast before, perhaps
1: the uh, the, the, the origins of the three lines on the England shirt. Things like that. Things like that. The, the kind of stuff that you listen to us to learn about, guys. But also, I think, especially while we would like to get some more interaction with our audience on, on, and our listeners on this, is that we would love to learn and be, and be kind of enlightened by you about things that you love um, historical or moments where politics and football have, have combined things like that but we can learn about and then relay back to our listeners that would be amazing but for now and for this week's episode shall I crack on with uh, my contemporary worldie or this week's worldie
0: this week's worldie nice you've just come up with that and I like it
1: this week's worldie everyone's talking about the football they want to talk- Get ahead of this week's worldie. For those who don't really follow the football calendar, interspersed between club football, which runs from September to May, there are what they call international weeks, where because there are international tournaments, you have to have qualifying games for those, and those are played throughout the main club season. That. Was that Russian? Yes. Yes, it was. Brilliant. <laughs> um, thanks for that, Putin. <laughs> Inserting yourself into our podcast, are you? He always is. He's always around, lad. So, this is an international week, and this season marks a change. We are going through changes, Joel. Ch-ch-ch-ch-ch. I think it, that was Bowie, but I was doing Osborne. Oh, right. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, we're going through changes. The FIFA and UEFA have decided they're going to change elements of the international calendar for football and create a new tournament called UEFA Nations League. Like the League of Nations? Nope. Football.
0: But I mean, I mean that is the last time that anyone used the, that conjunction of words together. I think Woodrow what... Wilson's failed late teens, twenties experiment before the Wall Street crash. It's
1: okay, but they 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 contacted Wilson's people. They they contacted, and he Woodrow. said, "It's fine. You can use it."
0: <laughs> Classic
1: Woodrow. So. <laughs> Although I watched Black Clansman this week and I found out that Woodrow Wilson was really racist. Oh, was he? Yeah, he really oh. liked Birth of a Nation. I mean, he was... Oh, yeah, he had a special screening set
0: up at the White House. Uh-huh. I did know that. But anyway,
1: back to the football. Uh, yeah, football's important. So, yes, don't... This is very confusing. Nations League. Don't get it confused with the Champions League, guys. No. Don't get it confused with the Europa League. No. And don't get it confused with the Premier League. No. It's UEFA Nations League. Listen up, because it's going to get confusing. Usually, to qualify for the European Championships, yes. you had a group stage. Right. This is not changing, but there are now 10 groups for, oh. the, for, the, for the European Championship qualifiers. It's 2018. The tournament is in 2020. In previous uh, in, in incarnations of this uh, Qualifying system, system yes. they would, this week, right now, the week we're in, Joel, would be the first week of qualifiers for that tournament. This ain't happening no more. The The whole tournament qualification structure has been pushed back to 2019. Why? To integrate this new fun tournament called the Nations yeah, League. League.
0: which well, Joe Wilson is a racist. Exactly. Excellent. So
1: one of the benefits of the Nations League as a as a replacement for friendly schedules and pushing back the qualifiers is that it gives a chance for smaller... This is how they're selling it. Right. It gives a chance for the smaller teams like your Andorras, like your Gibraltar's, like your Liechtensteins, like, dare I say, your Scotlands. Ooh. A chance to qualify for a major competition. Here's how European Championship qualifies: two teams from the ten groups will qualify automatically. The right. top two from the from the ten groups. So that's twenty teams. But this is the first time in 2020 there will be a 2014 tournament. How are we going to get those four other places, Joel? From the Nations League groups. O M Jizzle. <laughs> oh my god, it's so confusing. Right, so. It's so, like... <laughs> no, no, it's not going to help. So, the, at the moment, the Nations League... League of Nations... Nations League is split into four leagues. Right, so far, Carl, you've explained very little. No. Except that it exists. No, okay. The Nations League. Four leagues. A, <laughs> B, C, and D. Okay? Yeah. Those four leagues are decided by coefficient, by the FIFA rankings that we've spoken about in a previous We have pod.
0: spoken about on the previous pod. They are uh, designed by UEFA and FIFA to uh, decide how successful teams are. That is oddly weighted, and it means that teams like Peru, for example, because of how hard Latin American qualifying for the World Cup is, have a much higher coefficient than a big European team.
1: Let's not confuse the listeners by talking about South American teams now. <laughs> and also, just to further complicate matters, listeners, the UEFA um, listings... Has uh, the UEFA player ra- team ratings has been revamped as well? Oh, good. Maybe I'm we'll glad. talk about that in the future. We won't. We won't. So, UEFA Nations League. How many times it now four? Or five? You've
0: said a lot. You've said UEFA Nations League a
1: lot. UEFA Nations League. Four leagues, separated by their ranking. Right. And much like the English system, the best league, the best teams in the Premier League, the worst teams are in League Two. Similar thing, but here's where it gets even further complicated. Within the leagues, you have groups. Okay. So each league is separated into four groups. These are four groups of 3. Okay. So therefore, England are in group they are in League A and they are in their group is with two other teams and what they do in this in this little section up until Christmas is they play to the home and away. Great,
0: simple so far.
1: <laughs> <laughs> then there's a little mini league table mm-hmm. and whoever wins that gets promoted. Of course, in the top league is you nowhere know to get promoted to, but in the other ones you get promoted, and you, the bottom ones get relegated. So the league of Na- the the nations league is actually quite fluid, and teams go up and down quite regularly within the within the calendar year. Right, cool. Now going back to how this benefits the smaller teams. Basically, if you the, the teams that qualify for the for the European Championship, they're gonna they're, they 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 are going to be taken out of the nation the nations league. Um, System because we're already qualified, leaving gaps for those playoffs from those other teams.
0: Oh, clever! So you sort of graduate from the Nations League by doing well in the European Championship qualifying.
1: No, okay. You can Not as as I thought You it can was. qualify for the European Championships by doing well in your league within the Nations League. You don't have to be at the top of the Nations League. Every league has its own champions. So if you're in the fourth league of the Nations League you have just as high a chance of getting into the playoffs as anyone.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, great.
1: I'm just realising what this sounds like, and it sounds like nonsense. And I'm sorry for that. We're trying to get through it. I'm trying to explain it. I think it's going to be... I think it was a really positive and strong choice for our first episode back. No, I think... Okay, <laughs> Everyone's trying to explain this to their to their viewers, Sky, BBC, everyone's struggling, because it is very complicated. Yeah. But the mo- why I'm talking about it, and why it's dramatic, is it actually is it's sort of a way FIFA and UEFA are hoping that it's going to keep uh, international football alive. We all love the World Cup, it comes around right every four years, and there's a worry that with the growth of money in club football... Ah, here we go. ...that people aren't going to care about international football. And so football. that's what
0: they've done. They've tried to create something that's going to grip you... And engage you in international football in a way that a lot of our listeners would have been engaged in the summer in the World Cup.
1: Yeah, and this is the thing. If you don't like club football because you can't be bothered to watch it which 38 times enough. a week, a, there's, a, a year. there's a
0: lot of football. There's too much football, some might say.
1: And also, there's also, of course, the kind of tribalism of club football, which people don't want to jump. Why should I support Arsenal over Chelsea, for example? Or, you know... Liverpool over Everton Whereas Who cares? nationhood Is a very easy way Of dividing along uh, Supporting lines And also it doesn't have to be Like Nationalistic either it could, it could just You know The World Cup Is something that Everyone can enjoy
0: I felt that During the World Cup With the, the coming home Movement If we can call it that Yeah uh, I felt there was A lot of people For whom it wasn't Necessarily about being English They were just Supporting a football team Because they liked them
1: Yeah Why not um, and this is trying to ensure the future of international
0: football, basically. Now, have England called up the same players who did so well to get to the semi-finals of the World Cup and in both our heads win it, even though they didn't?
1: They didn't win, and they have called up the same players. That's great. There's a few omissions. Jamie Vardy. Jamie Vardy's having a party. Bring your... And your... That was a... We had to edit that out because of the Jamie Vardy chatbot.
0: Edited some lyrics out there purely because we don't want to get sued. Vardy and
1: Cahill have retired from international football.
0: Right, no Gary Cahill. and uh, not that big a loss he didn't really play, did he? He didn't
1: play. He played in the Belgium game. And he's kind of nobly first in, implying game. that he's retiring to free up that space for younger players, although obviously they would have been taken by Gareth's penchant for younger players over older players. Sure. So Gary, goodbye. Jamie, Jamie Arrivederci. We'll uh, miss you. Why is he why does he why does he get an Italian is he off to Italy? He probably likes Italian beer. Just like beer. Jamie Vardy... Oh, crap, f- we just edited out them. <laughs> Jamie Vardy, I mean, I'm not... Okay. Jamie Vardy famously drink, drinks bottled beer all through the week. And when, when his manager at Leicester, when they won the league, was questioned on whether this was acceptable, Ranieri, um, he just said, "It's whatever he wants to do is fine. He's scoring 13 goals in a consecutive games. Carry yeah. on, Jamie.
0: Carry on drinking, carry on doing whatever else you do, allegedly.
1: But he won't be carrying on for England. Great. So
0: it's the same. So who's who, any new and exciting people we should look out for if we're watching the U- UEFA Nations League? That's probably the eighth time we've said it now.
1: UEFA Nations League. <laughs> Get used to it. It's fun. It's fun, fun, fun. <laughs> UEFA Nations League. Um, Marcus Bettinelli. Marcus Bettinelli? Have you heard of him? I have not. He is an English goalkeeper for Fulham. Nice. And he has been called up to be the fourth goalkeeper in the English squad. Don't know why we need four. He I mean, won one one position really. He probably won't play, but he I like him. He's a good he's a decent player. I like his name. Italian. I,
0: I, well, it's a good good mix. Marcus not so much Italian. Bettinelli very Italian.
1: But also England have had Italian named goalkeepers in the past. Such as Peter Benetti. Peter Benetti. The Cat. <laughs> so what what, what should oh, where we call did that Cat
0: come from? What should we call Marcus? Marcus Bettinelli the well the problem is that uh, the, the spider the spider. Yeah, Eight, yeah. Eight legs. I mean, it's, it's difficult, isn't it, for goalkeepers if you're giving them the nickname of an animal. You either they're either going to be a cat because of agility or an insect because of lots of
1: legs. He'd like that. Marcus. Spider, deadly potentially. Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. Bites the head off her mate when she's mated with him.
1: So look out for Marcus Bettinelli in future squads, and maybe he'll even play in this in this uh, Nations League um, period. England are playing Spain. Oh wow! This weekend. Oh jeez. See, you're already more excited. I mean, I'm more excited by England-Spain than
0: I am by e- England-no-offence-men-Luxembourg.
1: This is the thing, and this is why the Nations League is becoming uh, the, the thing that it is. It's because no one wants to see the small minnows getting tonked mm. in every single qualifying game. It tonked, gives the... of
0: course, meaning destroyed by a larger team.
1: It, it adds competitive element and a more realistic sense of uh, equality between uh, matching teams. So if... Scotland again to pick Scotland if they're playing a more uh, suitable team in terms of talent and competition like a Romania or mm. a Bulgaria, it actually is, it, that's going to improve their their chance of um, growth as a team. Yeah, great. in in the long term. That's fab. So I like the nations. I am. Um,
0: you've converted me. I still, if I'm honest, and I'm sure our listeners are in the same boat as me, don't fully understand it, but uh, I am on board with it a million percent because of how positive and on board with it you are.
1: I think all you need to know, guys, is it gives the smaller teams a chance to qualify through the playoffs for the European Championships. And
0: if Absolute Worldie is pro anything, it's pro helping smaller things. Also,
1: pro <laughs> playoffs. I love playoffs. Playoffs are great.
0: Just tension.
1: Yeah, love Tension's it. good. Uh, there's one more change we want to talk about. Tell me. This week, uh, it was announced in the media that... The uh, FIFA are looking at getting rid of the away goal rule. Mm, that is
0: the rule which says that uh, away goals carry more weight than home goals in over a two-legged period. A two-legged period being two games played home and away between a team uh, between two teams uh, with an aggregate score taken at the end. If you have scored more away goals than the other team, if the, when the scores are drawn at the end, you win.
1: Um, It's especially used in uh, continental football, so European championships, uh, where it was designed... It came in 1965 as a way of basically rewarding teams for a long journey. Like, it was harder to travel back in those days. So let's say you're um, Nottingham Forest and you're playing Red Star Belgrade. Mm. It would take you a long time to get there, and it was incredibly expensive. So the reward was your goal would be worth more if you scored it. Well, what it actually led to is a lot of defensive play. Right. And now with the modern day travel, not it probably takes you as long to get from uh, Southampton to Newcastle for a, a league game as it would to get from Southampton to Marseille.
0: Yeah, it doesn't seem like a very logical thing to wait uh, a goal l- like that.
1: So they're thinking about getting rid of it. There was a meeting held between... <sighs> Lots of top, top managers. Who was him. there?
0: Tell me some of the names. Um, Mourinho. Oh my God. Jose M- M- Mourinho.
1: <laughs> Unai Emery.
0: I don't have a nickname for him yet. He's only been in English football a short amount of time. Allegri. Allegedly. Lopetegui. Don't know
1: who he is. Ancelotti.
0: Ah, will you have some? And That's
1: Anchov Don't worry about it. <laughs> Thomas Tuchel. Tuchel cool for school. And the godfather, Arsene Wenger. Ah, uh, the Codfather. So they all, they all got around, they all sat down, they had a meeting uh, and they were they were asked their thoughts on the away goal and they were like, basically, let's scrap it, it's time. Great, exciting. I would like to say... Uh, see is it away. happening? It, well, it's still... under. They're still
0: thinking about yeah. it. Yeah. But potentially, UEFA uh, Nations League, uh, no away goals in the future. Not not in the not in Nations League, in all football. Oh, in all football, fantastic. Yeah. That is a big, big turn up for the books. Well, is that your uh, contemporary worldie info? All done. That's me done. Well, after the break, I will be getting straight ahead of some classic worldy info.
1: I only watch so I can hang with my friends. It's nice to be
0: included sometimes Kyle: Last December, I'm sure you remember, the President of the United States, famous bloke uh, he defied global opposition by recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Now this angered Palestinians and Muslims around the world who see the ancient city as the capital of any future state they're going to have. What has this got to do with football, I hear you ask, Kyle. There's football in Jerusalem. Yep, there is football in Jerusalem. Here is a quote. For 70 years has Jerusalem been awaiting international recognition until President Donald Trump, in a courageous move, recognised Jerusalem as the eternal capital of Israel. President Trump has shown courage and true love of the Israeli people and their capital. And these days other countries are following his lead in giving Jerusalem its rightful status. That sounds like a sort of political uh, party, maybe. maybe someone from the ruling party in Israel congratulating Trump on his decision, wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Well, I'll continue with the quote, which comes from a Facebook page. The chairman of the club... Okay. The owner, Eli Tabib, and the executive manager, Eli Ohana, have decided to add to the club's title the name of the American president who has made history. And from now on, our football club will be called... Beta Trump, Jerusalem. Outstanding. Outstanding. So, Kyle, I, I'm today I'm going to talk to you about Betar Jerusalem, uh, who are a football team uh, based in Jerusalem, Israel, with a, a, an astonishing history that has led to this moment where they are changing their name. Let me give you some backstory to Betar Jerusalem and why they would be the kind of team who would want to include the word Trump in their new name. Do it. Let's do this. So, Beitar Jerusalem are founded by two... Uh, jerusalemites guys called david horn and schmuel kirkstein um in the uh 1930s in fact um david horn was the leader of a local group called the Betar movement uh who uh, at the time when britain was uh, in charge of what was then palestine uh the the uh Beta movement were going against what britain said they wanted to expand uh uh, Palestine into a Jewish state and to become Israel. Uh, so they were helping with Im- em- immigration of Jews into Palestine through the 30s and 40s, which was against what Britain wanted at the time. Um, so you can see they started very early on being quite the political football team mm-hmm. in that that was the people who were uh, running them. Um, the Betar fans uh, have, have been identified with that movement, which is called the revisionist Zionist movement ever since. Uh, and then they uh, now are associated with the ruling Likud party. In fact, the leader of Likud, the current prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, is a very vocal supporter of Betar Jerusalem. You can see videos of him online wearing a scarf saying, Yalla Betar, let's go Betar." I like it when politicians
1: support a football team.
0: Well... Hold that thought for a second there, Carl. The club was closely associated at its founding with Ergun, a Zionist, parliamentary or terrorist group, depending on your perspective. Uh, the future Israeli politician, um Haim Corfu, this is in the thirties and forties, played as a striker for Betar. He was also a member of Ergun's Jerusalem command, an explosive expert, and he was vital in assassinating. Rafe Cairns and Ronald Barker, two police officers from the Palestine Police CID's Jewish section. Whilst he was for playing. Whilst he was playing as a striker. Wow. You're listening to the Absolute Worldie Football Podcast. To suggest your own choice of worldies for us to discuss on the pod, both classic and contemporary, why not get in contact with us on Twitter at Worldie Podcast. One thing that's always uh, marked Beitar's fan base and Beitar's games, and especially through the 90s and into the noughties, is when there are matches against Arab clubs, majority Arab clubs, mm. there is tension. Really horrible chanting, lots of death to Arabs, lots of uh, Mohammed is a homosexual, that kind of stuff.
1: And obviously nice. that
0: goes down really well.
1: Uh, which of the... Uh, Arab clubs within the Israeli league or within within the Israeli league. So there are there are Arab
0: clubs playing within the Israeli league. There, there's no way Beitar would play a game against a Palestinian club. Wouldn't happen.
1: So I'm confused. Arab Arab fan base for an Israeli team? So Arab Israeli. So Palestinians living in Israel. Okay, but not 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 teams not based palest- in Palestine. no not teams based in Palestine. Okay. So
0: so this is a so this is this this major this basically this history of being on the right wing, shall we say, mm-hmm. and, you know, founded, as we say, by people who were going against the British mandate and had a striker who was a terrorist and all these things. It's only really when the millennium starts that beta's history becomes fascinating. So, uh in the early millennia is the year that ultra groups started to appear in Israeli football. What are ultra groups, our non-football fan listeners
1: say? I suppose we would call them hooligans, really, Carl, wouldn't we? I mean, I would... I would call them almost football gangsters, organised uh, groups of uh, very um, sort of... Violent-minded? Is that is that too far? I would say aggressive. Ultra-aggressive. Aggressive, Ultra-aggressive. Aggra- ultra aggressive. And
0: Betar's ultras, La Familia, oh, yeah. uh, are particularly extreme and they're extremely right-wing. Um, so the fact is there is one big difference between La Familia and the other ultra groups that are more based in Tel Aviv, and that is that, uh, that La Familia are officially funded... By Beitar itself. So the they club are the official funds its fan, own. Funds its own ultras. Base. Yeah, they're its own fan group. They are the official fan club, is the ultras. And what do they get up to, the familiar? So, uh, many, many things. So, um, they're very violent, uh, but their main thing has been racism. So, they have a lot of songs, uh, titles such as I Swear There Will Be No Arabs Here, Here It Comes, The Most Racist Team in the Country is their big song. Uh, It's a very catchy song. Um, It reminds me of
1: that famous Chelsea song. Which, uh, yes, indeed. uh, Our captain's racist. That's how we like it. no, we're racist. We're racist. There was an incident about three years ago where Chelsea fans pushed an a, a African-French man off a train. Yes. We're racist, it. we're
0: racist, and that's how we like it. We like yeah. it, we like it. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, well, it's a similar vibe. Similar vibe. But, a lot but more not funded
1: the, by the club. Not funded by yeah.
0: Chelsea before we get in serious... <laughs> no, before we get in serious trouble. Um, so, activists of... Outlawed right-wing extremist groups like Kahane Kai and Lahava um, have both ended up being spotted in the stands, handing out anti-Muslim, anti-Arabic literature. Um, they've been disciplined for their behaviour both at, at... The fans have been disciplined or the club's been disciplined by the league for both both the fans' behaviour at games and away from games. Two of the most incident, most infamous incidents uh, occurred when La familiar members beat up Arab workers in the stadium after a match. So the state, you know came out to tidy up after the stadium. They were Arab workers. The fans had stayed around and they beat them up. Uh, then over 300 fans once attacked Arabs in a nearby shopping mall. Um, and uh, there was a splintering in the fan base. So we should very quickly say, it's not all Beitar fans uh, are this racist and some are very against this. And it has led to real rifts within the supporters. However, the most interesting stuff occurs from 2004 onwards. So initially in 2004, they signed a Nigerian Defender. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name is Ibrahim Indala they signed him from Maccabi Tel Aviv he was black he was Muslim he left the club after five games wow uh, this is what he said I left Betar because the fans abused me it was a bitter experience for me they sang to me son of a bitch Arab go home in Nigeria, I didn't experience this kind of, behavior, beh- kind of behavior in my life. It happened to me only in Baytar and it was because of the country I came from. The rivalry was neither political nor ethnic. It was because I was a Muslim and that's why I couldn't play for Baytar. Remember that fact. Okay. It's the fact that Muslims are people that they do not want to play for them.
1: Yeah. Okay, that's way. Right. Turn the headphones up. Okay, let's do this. Here we go.
0: Kyle, do you remember Alexander Gadimak? No. The man who took over Portsmouth FC oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. in this country, and some might say led to their inevitable downfall. Yes, I remember. He has a father, Arkadi Gadimak. And in 2005, Beitar Jerusalem was bought by Arkadi Gadimak. He'd emigrated to Israel as a 20 year old and he'd made his billions through dealing arms in Angola in an episode uh, which would later be called the Mitterrand Pasqua affair or simply Angola Gate. I will not go into Angola Gate now, even though it is fascinating. I suggest you look it up. It sounds it's a really catchy word. Angola Gate. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's really worth looking into. It's basically how a lot of Israeli businessmen were selling guns in, in uh Central Africa.
1: I think it sounds like a Netflix series.
0: Yes, it's not one for us to go into, I don't think. No. So let's bring us back to football. He buys our friend. He buys Betar Jerusalem in 2005. Basically, he, he he wanted to be in Israeli politics a lot. And he, the best way to do that, he thought, was to get involved in sports. So first of all, he buys Hapoel Jerusalem, which is a basketball team. He donates 400,000 to a smaller football team called... Uh, for, it's $400,000, sorry, to uh, Benay Saknin FC. And then he buys 55% stake in Betar. And by the end of that week that he's bought the stake, he owns the whole team. He wants to use the fan base, which is the largest in the whole of Israel. He wants to use it as a springboard into Israeli politics. He wants to gain political mileage. This is something that has proven track record. In fact, Ehud Olmert, who's a former mayor of Jerusalem and ex-prime minister of Israel, he was a regular at Teddy Stadium. And Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, there's footage of him, you can find, of him doing headers at half-time. It's a disproportionate amount of power that the fan base has. mm mm-hmm. Uh, And this is him. This is as he took over the club. I never was a football fan, I always said that, but Beta has more fans than all the other clubs in Israel combined, and this is why it's a very interesting propaganda tool. It's a huge influence on Israeli society. That was his
1: official statement. That's his
0: official statement on buying the club. There's nothing hidden there. <laughs> nope, straight up. The first line, yep. not, I don't like football. Yeah, doesn't like football. So despite this confession, he puts a load of money in. No
1: one ever uses the word propaganda when they're talking about their own affairs. He knew exactly what he was doing, and he was upfront about it. That... It's no, extraordinary. No one wants to hear that they're being propagandized. We are
0: talking about the team that are now called Betar Trump Jerusalem. Carl, this shouldn't be the thing that shocks. you. up. <laughs> so, uh, despite this confession, he does. He, this is in 2005. He puts loads of money into Betar. Loads. Um, and uh, in the beginning, it's extraordinary. They win two back-to-back league titles between 2006 and 2008, and then they win two consecutive Cups in 2008-2009, meaning they do the double in 2008. So during this time, uh, his assistant, Giedermatt's assistant, a guy called Yossi Milstein, is dealing with La Familia. As we've established, they're Mm -hmm. a big part of the club. They're also a big part of why he bought the club, because they have this rampant political racist... Uh, streak going through them so reportedly through milstein Gadamax funding La familiar even more he's giving them expensive equipment there's a private basement installed within the stadium where they can uh plan their uh banners or whatever uh and they can and the craft room yeah essentially uh and then he gives them lots of cash he entitles them with the prestige the power and the legitimacy to run the stands so every stand has a familiar presence in it and the the there's a coordinated sense within Teddy Stadium, as the stadium is called. So aside from,
1: okay, so aside from the fact that he's showing support to the La Familia in this way, yeah. And I know I've just heard what he says in public. Is he was he saying was he saying that their views, their their kind of political and racist views, mirrored his own, or was he a bit more coy about that? So he find, he founds a political party in 2007. Here we go, and it's called Tzedek Hevrati. And this is a Russian national. He
0: is a Israeli, he is a Russian-born Israeli national. Okay. So he, uh, the, the public, the is called Sedzak or social justice. His line is, there is not enough. So you've got to remember that the other thing with La Familia is it's a very working class fan base. Yes. So what his line is, is justice for working class Jews. Clever very clever so he donates vast sums of money to charity he makes political connections not just in the Jewish community but also in Arab ones and on the back of the double win what well, he's got to if he wants to win votes in Jerusalem okay um, and uh, on the following of the, the on the back of the double winning season in 2008 he enters the elections to become the next mayor of Jerusalem. Great. He mobilises his Hapoel Jerusalem basketball fans, his Betar Jerusalem, I think you can see where this is going, his Betar Jerusalem football fans, and he receives 3.6% of the vote and loses the election massively. Oh, big shock. Likud's near Barkat, Likud being also connected with Betar Jerusalem, they're the main political party, he storms that election, hands down wins the mayorship. And so Arkady loses interest. Yeah. So he, it's not worked. Not at all. 3.6%. Yeah. In two years of, fund, of funding millions and millions of... Three years of funding millions and millions and millions of shekels, dollars into uh, into the football team. It's not work. This plan.
1: Was the other guy just a, a, a more popular guy? Just a
0: generally normal politician, not someone who's trying to buy their way in by supporting a football team. Okay. So the money dries up. There's no more new signings. There's no more exciting coaches. He stops going to games. The, uh, the, the familiar, they, they they write a song. Would you like to hear the lyrics of the song? I'm sure it's more catchy in Hebrew, but here we go. Arkady Gadamak you're a son of a bitch, a traitor, a war criminal. Everyone knows you're corrupt. You'll go to jail in France. We'll haunt you day and night. Our dream is to watch you fall. Uh, the France reference is, is to... Uh, he was uh, sentenced to three years in prison in absentia in France because of his role in Arcola Gate. Again, what, look up Arcola Gate. Arc- I think Sorry, Angola, Angola Gate. Gate. Arcola Gate. What the hell would that be? <laughs> Something to do with a the London theatre scene. <laughs> that guy de Mac. That guy de Mac. It's 2012, 2013. we flash forward a little bit. We're getting closer to Betar Trump-Jerusalem.
1: But I'm guessing the club are not doing
0: so well. They are not doing great. He's not putting any money in. It's a bad time. They want him out. La Familia want him gone. He, of course, is hung around and with the potential to use them as a political tool at any time. And
1: guess what, Kyle? He will do. I can see that coming.
0: Yes. So, following a 2-1 loss to makapi Haifa in about uh, in early uh, tw- the early part of the 2012-2013 seasons, it was early, uh, early 2013, um... There's a new coach in, old guy, Eli Cohen. Old player, been around the block. They go on an incredible run of games that sees him go undefeated for two months. They go up to fourth, Arcadi's back at the ground. They, there's video of him cheering. At this point, if you were a Betar fan, you would probably be a little bit dubious as to why he suddenly re-emerged. I don't think I would be, I think he, I would think, oh yeah, here he comes. They're fourth place, it's January, and Arcadi decides they need to play a friendly, in the middle of the season, in Chechnya.
1: Why? Uh, why?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so Chechnya is a federal subject of Russia, population of 1.5 million, 95% of whom follow Islam, and the head of the Chechen Republic is Ramzan Kadriov, who is a warlord, essentially. Okay. Uh, there's no elections, it's not a free country. However, he has... Uh, satisfying trend for billionaires of rewarding people who are his mates with big oil contracts and anything out of Chechnya. Mm. You can see where this is going. So uh, Kadriov, this is a great quote We should live in peace and friendship with everyone. Develop economic ties. Our prophet said you should develop economic ties with the Jews. He didn't say kill them but develop economic ties. <laughs> I don't know yeah. where that... I don't know what bit of the Quran that's in. I but, love um, that
1: little language in the in uh, in the in the ancient scriptures. Develop yeah. economic, economic ties. ties. Yes. That's one of the Ten Commandments. You shall... You shall
0: develop, develop economic <laughs> ties. Don't kill them. Develop economic ties. So, in January, this plane
1: flies... <laughs> I think our prophet said, add lots of money into your marketing budget <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. to uh, attract new fans. Not kill them.
0: <laughs> so a private plane carrying fifty people, including the team, flies out. They
1: play out a dire nil-nil draw, but there's lots of businessmen there. Then. But also the, the the fans, the I mean, the racist fans of Beitar are going to be happy that they're playing in a in, in, in a ninety-five percent Islamic country. Yeah, no, I agree. It's not. I mean, it's good publicity
0: in in some ways for the for, club, but not for those fans. Well, yes, and uh, what? Imagine a way that that could be doubled down. Uh, what kind of deals? Could Arkady do in order to improve his relationship with Chechnya? I'll tell you what he could do. He could sign two players (laughs) For your face from Terek Grozny. I'm worried for those players. Uh, You should be. So, um, uh, two players are signed. After this 0-0 draw, they announced they're signing two players. Two Muslim players. Two Muslim players. Zawar Sadayev, 24-year-old striker who was in and around the first team but not that successful. And a 19-year-old defender who'd never really played called Jabriel Kadayev. Uh, and before I tell the rest of this story, I thoroughly urge our listeners to watch um, the, uh, the documentary Forever Pure, Football and Racism in Jerusalem. It has amazing behind-the-scenes footage of both players, uh, amazing interviews, so you should really watch it. Where can we watch that? Uh, it was on, until recently, it was on the BBC iPlayer, but I don't know if it's just been taken down. Have a Google, I'm sure it's available. Okay, so, the headline... In, in Jerusalem, is Arkady Gaidemek signed two Muslim players for Beitar jerusalem Doesn't name their names, doesn't say where, doesn't say why, and so everyone goes mad. The very first uh, training session, hundreds of La Familia turn up, and they start pulling down the fences, oh no. they start chanting, they're singing anti-Arab songs, even though obviously these are two Muslim players, they're not Arabs. Yeah, they're
1: from Chechnya, but they like those songs though. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you know a football, if it, I mean, even those who don't go to football, you know, football fans like to do the same old songs again and again. Yep. Don't change the words.
0: Uh, it gets worse. They set fire to the club offices, burning down the trophy room, all of their historical double doubles. They're double. Yep. Yeah, all of that gone. They've done the double twice. All of that's gone. They burn it down completely. Um, <laughs> so uh, the the extremists are especially angry with the Beitar captain. Who is a, like a beta through and through guy, the goalkeeper. What's he done? So in a in an early uh, appearance by the two young Muslim guys, the goalkeeper Ariel Harush, the captain, has his arm around both of them. Oh no. And this image sets off La Familia. He gets death threats. His family gets death threats. Um, it it becomes this extraordinarily like disgusting and aggressive and really bad atmosphere. Um they sing this famous uh, song, the Hat, the Hat Uh Really, they bellow it out the next game. Um, and the, the lyrics will not fill you with a, a huge amount of warmth. Um, as, long as, in, as long as in the heart within A Jewish soul still yearns And onwards towards the end of the east An eye still gazes towards Zion Our hope is not yet lost The hope
1: 2,000 years old To be a free nation in our land And at the end of it They chant stuff about uh, killing the Arab That song is contentious though, isn't it? I've, yes. I, I've, I've heard Barbara Streisand singing that song yeah, It's you're... also like a It can be seen to be a, a, a pro-Jewish song
0: It's not so much pro-Jewish As pro-destroying uh, anybody else Within the land of Palestine-Israel so it's freedom for Jews. Yeah. So it's so controversial to say the least. Yeah. So uh, in that first game, Betar lose. And then, and this is the bit, Kyle, where I think even our casual football fans will just find this fascinating. Against Maccabi Netanya, in a home game, Sadayev
1: scores. Yep. That's the Muslim signing, the That's the, signing, that's by the, the
0: way. 24-year-old Muslim signing, Zayo Sadayev. He scores and he puts them ahead in the 48th minute. He celebrates with who? <laughs> On his own. Well, no, the uh, the Argentinian midfielder Fernandez jumps on him to celebrate with him. Please don't, please don't do uh,
1: like a prayer on the floor. No,
0: no, no, he just celebrates. La Familia, who are mostly based in the East Stand at this time, get up and leave. Okay, that's a, that's good. What, they walk out? That's better than them storming the, Thousands the pitch. Thousands of them leave the stadium. At least they don't do any damage. They're, the team have just just taken a 1-0 lead.
1: I'd rather they left. I don't like them. I mean the other fans would be pleased to see the back of them surely. that's we? true
0: and actually the the other team did equalize and it was a one-all by the end Oh. but I mean uh, yeah no they, they they walked out and they start shout they chant some protest they stand around outside singing and saying some horrible things so it was a terrible time in in the club's history the players he played uh I think six times the the young guy the 19 year old made one substitute appearance uh it was not a pleasant time for either of them uh, and the team were considered by all to have basically just admitted that they were a bunch of racists. So let's go down the line and caddy leaves the club. And uh, the chairman at the time, Kornfein, uh, I can't remember his first name, but Kornfein, uh, he, st- he steps down because of the death threats that he received during the period of time with the two Chechenans there. Um, and it's agreed there will never be a time where Muslims and Arabs will come and play the Beitar. This is what is generally accepted. In fact, Eli Cohen, that coach, had to resign last year after he publicly said he would never sign a Muslim player for Beitar, not because he felt that a Muslim player couldn't play for Beitar, but because after what happened what with happened, these two, yeah. it would never happen. He had to resign because
1: of that comment. So basically, it sounds like... Are they trying to draw a line over the dark period and say things will be different if we just don't sign Muslim players? Absolutely. They're just are they just trying to
0: try... That You know, there has been... um. There's been an attempt since the crackdown on the racist fans. The Israeli police infiltrated La Familia. They arrested 60 people. Um, they've tried... Sorry, they arrested 19 people. Uh, they've tried their hardest to try and change the uh, the image of the club, shall we say. In fact, a new owner has just stepped up. Uh, Moshi Hogeg, who is like a, the epitome of like a Tel Aviv businessman. He's a blockchain entrepreneur. He's bought the club for $7.2 million. He's putting money in. He's cleared the debts. And that brings us to the renaming of the club. Yeah. After all of this history, and after they've tried to clear their decks and try and stop being this... uh, uh, stop having this reputation as the most racist team in the league, they have renamed themselves, Kyle, Beta Trump Jerusalem. Now, it's not been ratified by the league yet. It's not official. If it is, it'll be the only example in that league. And actually, I was trying to think think this through today, and I can't think of an example of a football team with a living person...
1: In their name. Can you think of any? No, but if you can, listeners, do tweet us in. Tweet us. Or I'm automatically just thinking of puns to do with prime ministers (laughs) and presidents (laughs) that work for football team names. Yeah,
0: there's Uh, got to be at least one. I'll come up with We'll come up with loads. We'll come up with loads in the break, and uh, we'll get back to you. But um, yeah, let me just sum up, Carl. We're basically saying it's going to be so interesting. This, I mean, if 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 it does get through and they become Betar Trump Jerusalem, it is an astonishing thing, and I kind of hope that they they honour it. And they are, uh, it 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 feels like listeners having just given you a potted history of Beitar from terrorists to anti Arab
1: slogans. It feels like a logical uh, conclusion to their history, really. Um, it, yeah, I mean, it, it It just feels like a rebranding of the same thing.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, although I do wonder, because um, for whatever reason, Israeli clubs play in the European competitions, yeah. despite Israel not being in Europe. Um, uh, I wonder if UEFA would allow a team called Betar Trump
1: Jerusalem to, to play, because it feels like a political message, doesn't but it? But it's also, it's not just a name, Joel, it's also a verb. Yes it is So I mean I think that Even if I can argue that If you I can argue a, that a, I a think a millionaire can. club Can argue Yeah that, that's yeah.
0: true uh, I will leave, I will end this section Kyle With the following fact And that is That since they changed their name Or attempted to change their name In May They haven't won a single game and They are bottom Of the league 14th out of 14 Kyle So uh, whether or not It was a good decision You make your own mind up
1: So, there we have it. This week's worldie filling you in and confusing you immensely on the UEFA Nations League. And our classic worldie in the terrible moment where a player, a Muslim player, scores a a leading goal and his fans leave the stadium.
0: Yeah, those are, those are two fairly uh, confusing <laughs> things for us to have started uh, talking about, really. I think
1: it's best that we jump into it and really yeah. you know, set the challenge for ourselves. We've,
0: we've, we, we're we really happy with the challenge we set ourselves this week, listeners, to try and explain the UEFA Nations League and for me to give you a potted history of Betar Trump Jerusalem that led up to Sadaev scoring and his fans walking out. Um, but we'd love to hear from you. We would love it. If you want to get in contact with us via Twitter, at Weldy Podcast, uh, let us know what you'd like to hear us chat about yeah we'll chat about it you tell
1: us and we'll make it happen what i mean, I mean we feel that we're not experts obviously in international football i don't really know much about south american football i'd like to know more i'd like to hear some great stories from south american football
0: well perhaps kyle when you talk about a classic worldy moment next week you can bring some south american football facts in
1: well, I was hoping that someone might suggest one for
0: me to do. Or someone might suggest one for you to do that. I mean, if, also, if you could do the research for us. No, that's... I like doing the research. Oh, right, okay. Just, keep, just tell me. Is it research or research?
1: I think it depends on your persuasion. <laughs> 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 so we uh, are also upgrading our logo. Oh, are we? Uh, and I would like to thank Liam Seeger. He's uh, done our logo for us. You can check him out at LiamSeger.com. He's a graphic designer. We love it. We've gone with our kind is, of favourite moments from the summer.
0: It is brilliant. Uh, check it out. Uh, I'm sure you can, you can go and have a look at it right now, in fact, if you would like to. Uh, Liam Seeger, thank you very much for that exciting new logo.
1: And thank you guys for listening. And we'll be back very soon with another episode of... The Absolute Worldly Football
0: Podcast. Bye.
1: See ya the absolute worldy podcast is produced by joel samuels
0: and kyle ross with editing by joel samuels our theme music is courtesy of adam janota Bazowski and amma chadda patel all other music is licensed under creative commons thank you very much for listening and please do remember to like share subscribe rate and review on itunes and follow us at worldy podcast on twitter
1: bye well, if, if Trump is going to. Trump at Jerusalem, they could. Maybe they'll have a player called Trumpo. Wow, you, you nailed that, Trump! Trump. Trump.
0: <laughs> Vlad like Vlad- Trumpo!
1: <laughs> <K-4-3> <laughs>